Hello, my name is Scott Bradley, and this is Scott Score Podcast. And today I'm joined by sports journalist Ewan McLean, who's been involved in the industry for 25 years. Ewan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem at all. So uh, we'll just dive right into the start from the beginning. At what age did you get involved in the media? And I was very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do very early on. Um, you'll be too young for this, but there was a show back uh, back in the day called Neighbours, Australian show called Neighbours, a soap opera. And one of the, the main characters in that, Scott Robinson, got a job with the Erinsborough News, totally fictitious newspaper and all that. He got, basically got a typewriter and within the day he was working for the Erinsborough News. And I, I must have been about... 12 at the time, maybe 13, and it just planted a seed in my head. I thought, God, that, that's a job that I would be quite interested in. I like English, one of my favourite subjects, and um, I just looked into it from there. Um, kind of started doing some stuff uh, for the Hamilton Advertiser, which was my local newspaper. Um, my mum, my by, by sheer chance, she had had this extra earner on the side of providing local life columns for about Bodwell. So stuff like the Women's Guild are meeting on Tuesday and the Boys Brigade are having a, a jumbo sale and, you know, it just just very, very small community news. Um, and I ended up taking that on from her. Um, so, so that was my very, very first bit, in journal, bit of journalism was was writing about flower clubs and the Boy Scouts and, and things like that. And but but from there on, it, it just grew. Mm-hmm. You can see, see when you first got involved, right? Were you just wanting to be a journalist? Like, did you ever have like a long like term goal to be a sports journalist, or was it just purely reporting on the news for you when you first got involved? No, I, I mean I, I kind of fell into sports journalism. I I had ideas in my head that I was going to work for the Herald. Um, basically because that's a newspaper my mum and dad bought. Um, but I, I started out delivering newspapers. Um, then I, I obviously took on this Bodwell Local Life column and by by luck, uh, and I would really would call this a huge break of luck, um, I delivered a newspaper to Tom Brown, who's a political editor at the Daily Record at the time. Uh, and just from having a, a couple of conversations with his wife, it dropped into conversation at some point. I wanted to be a journalist, and she went, "Oh, my my husband works for the, the Daily Record." And ended up through my connection with Tom, I managed to to get into the Daily Record as a copy boy, a copy messenger. Um, and it, it, it turns out there's been a lot of good journalists. That was their way in. They got their foot in the door by being copy messengers. Um, and and that's basically just being a general dog's body, fetching teas and coffees and. Going out and going out and getting the, the chippy run for the, the news desk and coming back and but but just having that foot in the door gets you getting to know people and I, I would I would sit with my I had this book journalism for beginners and I made a point of just always sitting it there and it would sit beside me on the desk anytime I left face up so that they could all see that this was what I wanted to do. And just by having that that contact, the, the opportunities started to to come your way. If if you're keen, you show you want it, you show you're you've got a desire to learn and to get on. They'll they'll help you. They'll help you progress. And I, I eventually did get my break. And that the Sunday Mail sports editor at the time, George Chain, who's been one of the most positive influences in my entire life, 
um, George was good enough to give me uh, a crack at writing some football match reports, doing second division games. So you're, you're talking about like 12 paragraphs maximum, just tiny wee reports. Um, but it was a great learning experience because you, you A, learned to write to length. Um, and if you've got a, a game that's four, three and two sendings off, try getting that into 12 pars plus quotes. Um, so it, it taught you a real discipline. It taught you how to, to write to, to length, write to deadline, quite often filing to copy over, over the phone. That, that's an old fashioned thing now that, that just doesn't really happen. But that used to be how you would do live football match reports. You would basically just ring your, your, your copy over and someone at the other end of the phone would be sitting in front of a typewriter and they would, they would transcribe it and, and that's where your report went. Um, so that, that, was, that was another key bit for me, just, just to get that foot in the door and get that experience. And I'm sure we'll get to this. I mean, I mean what would I say to young journalists is, is get that foot in the door, get to know people. And even if it's at the very, very bottom rung of the ladder, that's the best place to start because you're going to learn everything from scratch. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We can see uh, what journalists have told me. They've always said it's all about who you know. It's, you need to get as many contacts and get as much work experience as you can because it's so vital, you know. So and there's, I want to ask you this uh, as well, Ewan. Can you remember your first big scoop that you got uh, when you first started out as a journalist? The first real big story. My, I, I remember doing work experience with the, the Glaswegian newspaper, um, which is now Glasgow Live. It doesn't exist in its printed form anymore. It's purely an online thing. Um, but I, I was doing work experience while I was at Bell College of Technology doing my HND journalism. So this is like 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Um, but I got in through, again, through my connections as being a copy boy. The Glaswegian was in the same building. So it was just one of the desks that I used to deliver mail to and things like that. Um, so they took me in for a week's work experience and um, I managed to get the front page for that week's edition. There's a story about, it was just a, a routine call. I'd, I'd been given a, a directory of years, some local organisations, phone around them and see if there's anything doing. And just by having this, this conversation with a guy called Peter Meston, I can't believe I can still remember that name, he was the head of the, the Glasgow Airport Noise Abatement Group, basically just a, a bunch of local residents in the Bears Den area who were annoyed that the, the planes were, were constantly coming in and causing noise uh, because that's on the flight path to Glasgow Airport. But he turns out he was a, an ex-RAF pilot and was speaking from a, a degree of expertise, revealing that it turns out that pilots were, were now taking the flight path at too low they were coming in below the glide scope, as they call it, um, and be basically potentially a very dangerous situation that planes were, were flying in too low to come and land at Glasgow Airport, and that turned out to be the splash. So that, that was a huge adrenaline rush, and I ended up, I got that, uh, that front page framed, and there it has stayed in the frame for many, many years, and it's, it's still around there somewhere in the garage. I think it's together <laughs> under somewhere. So I want to touch on like your time at the Daily Record. So when did the move to the Daily Record come around, right? And how do you look back at your time there? Because obviously Daily Record's a very popular newspaper in Scotland, you know, and yeah. uh, 
like they've had some established journalists work there, most, most notably Hugh Keevans, a, a, a very iconic figure, shall we say, in, uh, in Scottish uh, media. So how did that move come about then? How was it? Um, well, it's maybe best just to take you back, just, just to give you a quick synopsis of, of the career path and how it went. And, and as I said, I was lucky I knew what I wanted to do. So I looked at what, um, what places, were, what further education was doing journalism classes uh, and Bell College was one of them. Um, so I, I looked at, well, what are the qualifications that you need and basically picked my subjects in third year accordingly. Again, third year, how lucky was I to know that that's what I wanted to do at that age. Um, so I took um, office and information studies because they would teach me to type uh, and introduce me to shorthand. As it turns out, I was the only boy in my class, <laughs> which was uh, in interesting for a 13-year-old lad just thrown in with all these girls. Um, but that, that taught me to touch type. So it was a huge help. And then I did secretarial studies as my hire as well. Um, but, but came out with, with exactly what I needed. I got, a, I got I had three hires, an A in English and two Bs, um, one of which was secondary studies. And that got me into to Bell College. Um, started, as I say, working from the ground up. And um, after two years at Bell College and doing my stuff at night at the Daily Record, as a copy boy, um, I got a job at the Wishaw Press as a news reporter, junior news reporter. Two years, brilliant grounding, absolutely phenomenal news patch for some of the bonker stuff that goes on in, in the Wishaw areas. Just, it was brilliant. So many different stories that, that I covered. Um, and then I, I, after that, a year at Glaswegian um, as a full-time reporter. And at that point, I started to do a wee bit of sport, um, Partick Thistle and stuff like that, Clyde, uh, and the, the Speedway as well. Um, and then from the, the Glaswegian, after a year there, um, while I was still doing football matches for a Sunday meal on a Saturday, um, I then got a job with the Rangers News. Um, went in there as a senior writer. And then Colin Duncan, who was the editor at the time, left for the Daily Record, and I succeeded him as editor. So I was basically at the age of 22, I was editor of the three official publications at Rangers at that time. So that was the, the weekly Rangers newspaper, all match day programmes for home games and the Rangers monthly magazine at the time, which was, remains one of the, the proudest things that I've been involved in because um, it was a really great publication. It gave us a chance to really do large in-depth interviews with the players and this was at a great time to be at Rangers. It was Dick Advocate's first year in charge. So you've got World Cup players like Arthur Newman's just arrived and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was there, George Alberts, Lorenzo Amoruso was captain, Barry Ferguson was just coming through as an emerging kid at the time, um, just breaking into the first team. Um, so I was there at Rangers for, for Advocate's first season, treble winning season. Um, brilliant, brilliant memories, brilliant time. Um, and uh, then I went to Sunday Mail um, 10 years for the Sunday Mail and then due to reorganisations which is now just commonplace in, in the newspaper industry the, the daily and the Sunday titles kind of merged their desks so, so I was then working pretty much mostly for daily record after that but, uh, but it was yeah 
how, how did I feel working for the day I reckon the Sunday Mail? Beyond proud. Um, just two iconic titles. Uh, the, the circulation figures aren't what they used to be, but, but they are still massive titles and massively influential. Got a, a big voice across Scotland. Um, and I, I, I I, I just I couldn't be prouder, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it was the pinnacle to get to these two classic titles and, and be a part of it. It was just an absolute adventure from start to finish. So, see, when you were at like the record, like what was it you covered mostly? Was it like and obviously it was football, but yeah, I know you were a golf reporter as well. Was it just those two sports that you covered, or was there any other ones? And what one did you prefer? No, um, football was bread and butter for any sports journalist in the UK. Um, every, everyone wrote about football. That was the thing. Um, and the, the good thing about the record in the Sunday Mail was that you, you were never pigeonholed to, to cover just one team. I would have hated that. You know, they, sometimes we've got Celtic correspondents, Rangers correspondents, Edinburgh correspondents. Yeah, and that's all they do. Um, I just thought I'd, I would have hated that because it just becomes so monotonous after a while. So the, the record was great and that you would be going across the country um, going and seeing different teams, mostly Premier League, but sometimes you would drop down to lower divisions if there were good games, good stories going on there. Um, but yeah, I was, I was also the golf writer, um, which was amazing and has taken me to some fantastic places in the world and you know I've been I've been to Augusta National for the US Masters nine times and I mean that's just just to go there once is a privilege for most people um and I was actually lucky enough to play the golf course at one point we'll maybe tell you about that later but um so yeah golf was was probably the most enjoyable that I found just the places that it took me were amazing um I think my writing style was quite well suited to golf as well. I quite like the idea of, of really taking the time to get to know a wee bit about players' backgrounds and, and I found that golfers were more expressive and more willing to open up and tell you a bit more about themselves than the, the footballers are because I, I think in, in football the media are, are kind of kept at arm's length now, keep them at a distance because um, there's just not the same access to, to footballers nowadays. It used to be footballers and journalists were pals who would drink together after games and things like that back, back in the old days, but uh, it's not really the case anymore. No, um, you're right, yeah. Because see, yeah. when you look at, like, for example, when you see footballers, when they do interviews, it's so robotic. It's like the same stuff over and over, you know, and, like, it's a shame nowadays that we don't see footballers actually open up to journalists, you know, because it's, like, see, when you see, like, I, th I watched an interview with James Madison, uh, who plays at Leicester. I watched it the other week, and he was so open and friendly, and he wasn't sounding like a, ro like a robot, basically, you know, and it was so lovely to see. And we need yeah. more of that, like, in the media nowadays, like, for journalists and uh, the players to actually get on and actually be friends, as you say. Yeah. I mean, it's, can, can you ever really be friends with somebody or? your um, interview and I would say not to be honest because there will always be that time where you might need to write something critical of them. That's a good point, yeah. And, and you know, you can't be their pal. You'd, you know, you, you, if it comes to that, if someone 
deserves a kicking in the press, then then you've got to be able to do it. You've got to, you know, it's, you've got to obviously be fair. But sometimes it has to be said, the, the difficult things have to be written and you've got to be able to stand up and do it. Yeah, so I, th- I actually do think, though, like, see, for like, players and managers, I would say managers and chairman, it's, I think th- it's important for them to have a good relationship with the media because I heard um, Brendan Rogers, you might have heard this as well, when Brendan Rogers was up here, he had a really good rapport with the media and see sometimes after a press conference was finished, like he would sit and chat away at the journalist like, off the record for about 40 minutes to an hour, you know, and see if you have, like, if managers have that good relationship with the media, that in that way, they know, okay, like, if things aren't going well for me here, I know I'm going to at least get an easy ride in the media. Yeah, yeah. It, it, buy, it buys time, it buys understanding, there's no doubt about that. Um, Brendan Rogers was brilliant with the press, absolutely great. Um, but you, you would find that most managers will quite happily sit and chat for a wee bit. Um, you know, you get to know people on a human level, don't you? When you when you spend enough time with them, and um, yeah, that's Brendan Rogers was was great, but he's he's one of many who've been great to deal with. And and you are right, the the ones who just keep the press at arm's length or create a, a kind of toxic working relationship with the press will get less time when it before the before the the calls for their their position to be untenable and um, calls for their heads start coming out mm-hmm. uh, like uh, just going back to your time at the record right what would you say was your favourite interview that you conducted oh god I know it's a big question <laughs> um, I've, I've got different ones for different reasons I mean sometimes you'll you'll have great interviews and you think oh, that was just brilliant, the, the chat was good, the, the subject matter was good and there, there was a real connection that you, with the person that you've interviewed and you know, you, you've learned a bit about them that you didn't know before. Um, God, it's one of my favourites. I'm struggling to pick out precise examples. I mean, there was a, uh, well, I remember sitting with Andy and Jamie Murray early in their, in their careers um, and it was the two of them together. And I just started talking to them about their childhood and their rivalry as brothers and Jamie, Jamie telling us how Andy used to get end up getting him into trouble by winding him up so his mum couldn't see him winding him up and then he would be the one that would snap and his mum would give him, give him a row for it. So, you know, stuff like that, when you get right in the, under the skin of people's... Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, I'd say one of my favourites was meeting Andy and Jamie Murray uh, early in their careers, um, and you, you just talking to them as people, not not so much about the tennis, just more about them and their relationship and their memories as kids. Um, Jamie was telling this great story about how Andy used to always get him into trouble with his mum. Um, because he, he would maybe be, Andy would be doing something that his mum couldn't see that was winding Jamie up and he would just wind him up so far until he would snap and throw, try and hit him or, or shout at him or something like that and his mum would end up turning on Jamie, blaming him. Um, so it's, it's nice when you get these wee insights into, into the lives of really famous people and successful people. Um so that, that was one. I'm sure there's going to be plenty others that will come back to me, but but that was one of my favourites. 
have you, have you ever like done an interview with someone? You don't need to like mention their name if you don't want to, but you ever done an interview with someone? You're like, that did not go well at all. Oh God, millions of times, millions of times. There are some people who are either terrified of being interviewed. You know, if you get young players who've never done this before and suddenly they're in front of, I look like a deer, like I look like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, um, and then sometimes you get you just get the ones who aren't interested, don't want to speak to you. Um, I'd quite openly say Henrik Larsson is one of the worst interviewees I've ever encountered and, and many of my colleagues would say the same. He's just wasn't interested in speaking to the press and, um, and would make it difficult for you, you know, one word answers and things like that. Um, and then on the other side of the coin, um, Neil Lennon is brilliant with the press, great to speak to, really interesting guy and um, has a lot of really good deep thinking on on loads of different subjects you know you, you could you know go into a press conference with Lenny and ask him about any kind of subject and he would usually give you a thoughtful answer on it um so sometimes the the public persona is, uh, maybe doesn't kind of match up what, what your dealings with them uh, on a face-to-face level mm mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember um, I done, I done an interview with Ali Beg, who is a broadcaster. Um, I done an interview with him a few weeks ago, and towards the end, like he was really opening up about his experience when he was in a boy band, uh, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he felt as an individual at the time and some of the stuff he overcame. And right after I done the interview, where he was getting really emotional, right after I was like, I nailed that. That was a great interview, and I felt brilliant after it, you know. And as you were saying about having that connection with someone, I mean you're like doing an interview, like when it's going along, when it's happening, like you're, when it, you're, you realize like, right, this is good, this is good, this is going to be some really good content, you know, because there's nothing worse if you do an interview with someone and as you say, like one word answers, they don't seem interested and then you're like, at least give me something to work with here, you know? Yeah, yeah, Rod Wallace at Rangers was another one who was really difficult to interview, just, just wasn't interested did not want to speak to you um, and, and made a point of making it awkward for you. But that's that's part of the, the skill of being a journalist is, is being able to to work with, with people who, who are reluctant interviewees and still be able to get something. And and that is just means feeling your way around and, and asking the right questions and asking them in a way that they can't answer yes or no. Mm-hmm. There's techniques there. So what see uh, in 2021, how do you feel like the relationship is between the media and football clubs in general? Do you feel as though it's, as you said, like the football clubs are trying to keep their distance in a sense, just keep them at arm's length? But do you think it will ever improve in a way? Because before, like maybe 20, 25 years ago, it was, I, th- I feel as though it was pretty good, but now it's, it's pretty much like keep my arm's length. Keep, keep them at uh, arm's length. Yeah, it's, it's harder. And well, that, this COVID situation has made it harder as well for the, the working press and that they, they can't get face to face with guys now, to not, not nearly to the same extent. Most of these interviews are done on Zoom. And at, at that point, a lot of the control was taken away from the journalist because you're waiting for your microphone to get unmuted by the press officer and they can end the press conference whenever they like. 
because they're the ones that press the button on it. So that, that's more of a challenge. Um, there, there will always be a kind of symbiosis, a, a, a mutual need. One, you know, the, the clubs need the, the publicity to, to reach out to their, their fans. And um, the papers obviously need stories and need interviewees and, because they need things to fill their paper. So there will, there will always be that, that kind of mutual need. But um, the, my feeling is I think the, the balance of power has gone more in the, the direction of the clubs now. The, the, the papers need the clubs more than the clubs need the papers. The clubs are, are pushing their own in-house media nowadays as well. Um, because they, they see that not only as, as commercially they can do well at that, but they're also in complete control of the message if they're putting their own stuff out on club media. So I think that that's another threat for the, the future of, of journalism. What do you make of uh, fan media now? I've noticed that clubs are allowing like fan media into the press conferences. Um, what, what do you think that's uh, a good thing? Well, uh, I mean, if I was a working journalist and in a post-match, the, the number of questions that you get are limited as it is. So the more bodies in there asking questions, then it, it can be more problematic for you on a professional level. But um, do, I, do I object to fan media? No, no. Um, is But what, what bothers me about fan media is that by its very nature, it's, it's largely blankered and you're unlikely to get the, the kind of more objective view and uh, that, that might criticise. And I, I think that that's your, that's your problem with fan media is that it's, it's obviously by its nature, is very one-sided. Yeah, like, because it's been, it's like, it's over the last few years or so, there has been like a big rise with, uh, within fan media. Like, I think, I don't know if you're familiar with Heart and Hand, uh, it's a mm. Rangers podcast. Um, the host David Edgar uh, is attending a lot of the Rangers games just now, like reporting on it, you know. And like you see, be fair to him, he's obviously he's biased. And he's a Rangers fan, but he does call it as he sees it, you know. And he isn't like speaking on behalf of the club. And I think if fan media is going to get introduced more in football, it needs to have that kind of style to it instead of just being like in-house media where it's basically just propaganda. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, good luck to them if, if anyone can make a, a go of any kind of um, media platform, then good luck to them as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll just say, going back to going back to the time of the record, right, um, I know we're kind of going in roundabouts here, <laughs> but going back to the time of the record, um, what would you say was your favourite sporting event that you covered? Uh, like, it, can, it can be a game or like a golf tournament, but I imagine it will be a golf tournament for sure. Well, I mean, I've been lucky enough to to attend a lot of great sporting events, and you know that's one of the best things about the job is you get the best seat in the house for some of the, the biggest events you you would ever dream of. So, um, there's there's very little to beat behind the first tee of a Ryder Cup on the first morning, especially in America. I find the atmosphere is just that wee bit different in America. Um, that that was amazing. Um, I've been. Champions Leagues, Champions League nights, home and abroad, um, international games, all brilliant. Um, Commonwealth Games in 2014, 2014 was probably the most enjoyable year of my working life. Um, 
just because of the variety of the stuff that we had on our doorstep. We had the, the Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles in September and then the, the Call Me Games uh, in Glasgow and, and throughout that, that beautiful summer. And some of the, the, the variety of the stories that you were working on, different sports and interviewing people who were, were really keen to tell you their story as well because they're not used to getting that, that kind of coverage. Um, so there, ah, there are so many brilliant stories from there. Um, I, I remember when I decided that there was a, a breakout of Ebola in uh, Sierra Leone at the same time as the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. So I just uh, just uh, working a flyer here. Let's have a wee look down the list for some athletes from Sierra Leone. And sure enough, I found one. Um, and this, this guy was participating in the road race. And I got him at the end of the road race in the mix zone. Um, and basically waved at him, can I have a couple of minutes of your time? And throughout this chat, I mentioned the Ebola epidemic, just dropping it in. I'm, I'm casting a fishing line here, just chancing, seeing what I can get. Hoping that he's maybe going to say, oh, I'm terribly scared for my for my mother back home or whatever. I thought I might get some human interest angle out of it. But lo and behold, here he, he drops in the, in the conversation that he's been tested twice since he got here because he had been developing symptoms. <laughs> as, I, as I take one step back and pray that he doesn't cough on me, um, suddenly I had a brilliant story. And I, I ended up going front page, not only the Daily Record, but the Mirror in London just from simply having an idea in your head and asking the question and just seeing what happens. And I, I would always uh, be a great advocate of that. Take a flyer. Have uh, If you've got an idea in your head, see if you can find somebody who can talk about it because it might just give you that brilliant story. Yeah, exactly. Like, if like, don't ask, don't get, you know, and if you never ask, then it'll always be a no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Thankfully, so, he tested positive. Uh, he tested negative for Ebola, so everyone was okay, and I'm still here to tell the tale. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so, like, so you left the record last year, was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, November the first, twenty nineteen. So, how did? If you don't mind me asking you, and you don't need to answer it if you don't want to, but how did that uh, departure uh, come about? Well, I, I, I had wanted a change. Um, it's, sadly, the, the way the industry is these days in, in newspapers, decline in revenue, decline in circulation, there's, there's a kind of regular round of redundancies that, that comes in every, every pretty much every newspaper. You can set your watch by it. Um, and at, at this point, there were redundancies coming around and they were looking for volunteers. And I just thought, well, the time's the time's right for me. I want to go and do something different now. So I, I volunteered to to be one of the guys to go, um, and left. I kind of walk, walked to the door. They they always have this great journalistic tradition of banging people out, um, and that, that's basically they, they get pots and pans from the canteen and the entire office gather. These pots and pans where you walk out, clutching your your front page, you get a front page made up for you, and just take usually taking the mickey out of you. Um, so I, away I went and uh, got banged out and thought, well, at, at this point I'd, I would like to go into PR. I think it's quite a, a natural progression for journalists to to kind of cross to the dark side, as they always say, um, and use your skills to to 
different effect to going to kind of poacher turn gamekeeper as a PR man. Um, so that, that was really what I thought I would do. Um, gave myself Christmas and thought, well, I must get a job soon, must get into one soon. And then lockdown happened. And before I knew it, you know, no one's, no one's hiring anywhere and you're sitting there nervously thinking, well, where's, where's the next opportunity going to come from? Um, so I decided to come and join you at University of West of Scotland to, to turn my age and me that I'd got 20 odd years ago uh, to upgrade that to a degree. Um, so they were kind enough to, to give me a chance to come in in third year and hopefully by the end of this summer, the pair of us will have funny hats. Oh, absolutely, mate. <laughs> will you be uh, staying on for fourth year as well, yeah? Or is it just for uh, you? I, I don't know. I don't know. I've not made that. Uh, I've not made that decision yet. But they, I, I am very relieved to say that I'm now balancing university with a full time job. But I managed to get a, a position as a press officer with Western Bartonshire Council, um, which is a, a completely different challenge. Um, you know, you go from asking smelly questions of Tiger Woods live in national television to suddenly <laughs> do, doing. Um, press for uh, for health and social care. It's, it's just a completely different challenge. I've got a lot to learn, um, but it's very worthwhile work and it's work that genuinely does make a difference to people's lives and because I don't know about you, Scott, but I, I think most journalists, when they get into this game, think I want to make a difference. I want to do something that actually makes a difference to people's lives and sadly, 90% of the time that tends not to be the case, especially in sports journalism. I mean, how are you going to change the world in sports journalism? But my God, it's it's a great job and I've loved every minute of it. Um, and I do, I miss it. I miss it, but I don't miss it because I don't think it's a job. It, it was in, in the sense that the, the opportunities to travel and go to these amazing sporting events has, has become more difficult because budgets are cut. Um, the type of stuff that, that they're looking for content-wise isn't really conducive to, to my writing. Um, they, you know, they, I always like doing colourful features, um, writing thousand-word pieces, 1,200-word interviews, um, and, and things have become more online-based now, and, and online tends to be shorter. Maybe um, is king, and... So some of it, the, the clickbait stuff, just yeah. frustrates the life out of me if, if I was to, to have to do that all the time, um, which was another part of my, my decision to to take redundancy as well. I just felt the job had changed and maybe I've changed and, and it was just time to go and try a new adventure. Yeah, but I remember... Don't let, me, don't let me put anyone off getting into journalism because <laughs> it is still just a, just a brilliant job if you're passionate about it. Um, you know, you'll still have your adventures, just make sure you get out of the blooming office, eh? Yeah, I remember in class, you made a great point, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where you were saying that, obviously, you've got all the young people coming into journalism, like myself, right, and everything is, like, technology-based, online-based now, and you would get, a, like, a veteran journalist seeing a, a up-and-comer, uh, like, coming up, and then they'll just be, like, quite reluctant to help them, because they might feel as though their position's I think, like, I, like going, going to be a threat, you know, like, where they'll be worried about their position, so they'll be 
they won't be as hit, like help for go out their way to like I'll show the the wee man like what it's about, you know. It's less in their interest to do it now because because they have actually seen it. They've seen peers kicked out, um, and then the the younger guys brought in um, on half the salary. And you know, if that's a business model, then you don't have to be a you don't have to be a genius to work out that that's turkeys wanting for Christmas. If you start giving out your numbers and things to to help them out, when you know self-preservation sadly but it is sad it's a shame and I, I don't know what the answer is to that I, I think they, I think that there maybe just needs to be a bit more leadership at the top to try and work harder to integrate these kids and, and train them properly as well you know give, give them a chance to, to do things rather than being stuck in the office harvesting stuff off Twitter and things but listen it's, it's beyond my control. Um, I would just, I would just like to see more, more people coming into the game, being the chance to learn it properly and learn it in some of the old school methods. Because old, old school doesn't necessarily mean old fashioned. Um, you know, sometimes they, they've been doing it this way for a long time, and they've been doing it this way for a long time for a very good reason. You know, it's best practice. So the people that are coming in, teach them it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before we wrap up, you know, I've just got a couple more questions, but like, mm -hmm. I, I just want to make a point, Steve, with uh, like my podcast. Um, I'm the only person like in our year that has a podcast and I spoke to Ken about this and he said, that's good that you've got a podcast, Scott, because you stand out that way. And it's all about, you need to just make like your own opportunities happen. And like you see, obviously even having you on and trying to get other people come on my podcast, it's only just going to try and it's only going to get my name out there even more. So like I've mm -hmm. like asked plenty of people for interviews and they've knocked me back. But as, as I said earlier, if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, so it's like I'm trying to just like grow my podcast even more so and see what happens, because obviously like 20 years ago, there was no, no such thing as podcasts. And now it's like, like the presence of social media, I've got an opportunity to really get myself out there, try and get more hits in my podcast and try and get as many contacts as I can because it's so vital. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're doing the right thing. And like I said before, get, get your foot in the door somewhere. What you're doing at the minute is getting your foot in the door because you're, you're showing that you've, you've got the, well, a, you've got the initiative to go out and get into your own podcast and get people to come on it. Um, that's amazing. And you, know, you should be congratulated for it. And you, you touched on there as well. You've had people for interviews and you've had a lot of knockbacks. Well, get used to it because that, that is one of the things. And, and as a journalist, you need to be able, you, have, you need to have the brass neck to ask and you need to have the resilience to keep asking when people ultimately shut doors in your face. Um, and that's, yeah, just just keep at it. Keep keep asking the question, keep asking the right questions. And as long as you're passionate about it, you'll get there. Mm -hmm. Because, um, like, I, see when I first asked you to come on, you know, it was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, and it was just, like, Monday morning, first thing, I, I think you're having a conversation. I'm like, all right, you and, uh, do you fancy coming to Scotland? You're like, sure. <laughs> I know, it was just, like... <laughs> Just very bold, very out there. <laughs> no, it's the way to do it. 
That's the way to do it. If you do, as you said yourself, don't ask, you don't get. Absolutely. And just uh, one last question before we wrap up, Ewan. What do you what do you see with print media? What do you think the future is going to be like? Because I'm doing my dissertation on that and it's I'm just going to basically be analysing the decline of print media and how everything's online now. But how do you see the future of it? Do you see it being around in like 10 years' time? Uh, I, th- I think it will still be around. I, I think there will still be a demand to to have the hard copy in your hands. Um, I think it, possibly the best thing that could ever happen for for the newspaper industry in its in its current model is for some kind of global eye cancer scare that's linked to screens and suddenly everyone wants to go back to to reading <laughs> reading newsprint, but it's not going to happen, is it? Um, no, the, the the industry model as it has been for the last hundred years, whatever. There's no doubt it's it's in a, a decline. Um, worrying, dare I say, terminal decline. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bleak-looking future, but there will always be a demand for news. Uh, there will always be, I hope, a demand for good writers, and there will always be that interest in, in the people who inspire you, and that is your big-name athletes, football stars, whatever. Um, the, so, so your job as a journalist will still always be there. Um, and I, I, I would like to hope that it maybe just does turn a, a wee bit away from the... I can see already there is a, a turn away from the, the kind of cheap, vacuous clickbait stuff because people are now looking for a wee bit more substance again. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that trend continues. Um, and for, for me... I, I don't know, there's, there's just never been a substitute for, for just holding a newspaper in your hand, the, the feel of it in your fingers, the smell in the newsprint, I, I, I love that. Um, you know, one of my earliest memories of journalism was at the end of your shift as a copy boy. Uh, the, the print works used to be on site at the Daily Records old building at Anderson Keaton we would have to go down and get the first editions. You basically just lift this huge bundle of papers, acquire the papers, and bring them back up and hand them, hand a couple of cof- copies straight into the editor's office and then distribute it around the form. Just that, that connection with the, the news is, it was, it was special. And I, I still look back fondly on that and, and I will always just favour the idea of, of sitting holding a newspaper in my hands and, Tell you what, there, there aren't many better bargains out there. If you think with what's a pound, pound twenty-five or whatever, for for something that's got so many pages, so much variety of content, and and so much quality writing as well, all for roughly a quid, that's a pretty good bargain for me. No, absolutely, because see newspapers like especially young folk, you never see any young folk like being in a newspaper everything's just online that's where they get their information like from Mm -hmm. and it is a shame to see the decline of it because as you say like there's nothing better than just having a newspaper in your hand the smell of it the feel of it and it's it's a shame to see the way it's going just now and as you were saying about clickbait like oh that is like clickbait is rife in today's society now and it's just it's sad to see because Mm -hmm. You would see a, a headline that's completely over-exaggerated, right? Because newspapers need to get the 
the income, the revenue, because just by someone clicking the article, it doesn't matter if they read it or not, as long as they click on it, that's where the money will come in, you know, and yeah. it's it's just a shame to see the way it is now because everything's so sensationalised and and you would see a headline and it's just, as I said, over-exaggerated, then you'd be like, oh, geez, oh, and then people would just, won't click an article, they'll just see the headline, take that verbatim, and then that's where things can get, like people can get misled and that's where the term fake news can come about too by people just reading the headline not actually reading what the article said. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I, I hope it will improve, um, because it's it's a great it's a great career. And it's it's a career that, that should command respect because you know you get a bad bad reputation sometimes as journalists. But you know you you are guided by a code. You you don't write things without having good reason to do it without having got the quotes to back it up or the information to back it up, you know. We're not in the business of making up stuff, making up stories, despite what some people might think is absolutely not the case. And it's just a great, fine, upstanding, very, very important job. And, mm -hmm. and we need good people to still want to get involved in it and be passionate about doing it. Absolutely, Ewan. And uh, thank you very much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, so until next time, guys, take care and we'll see you soon. Okay.